This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to British Murders, a true crime podcast with a focus on British murder cases. My name's Stuart Blues, and I'm excited for you to join me on this journey of morbid discovery. I'm by no means an expert on the subjects of homicide and serial killers, however I have always had a sick fascination with them. Together we will learn about some of the lesser known British murderers, as well as glimpsing occasionally at some of the more notorious ones. The bite-sized presentation of this podcast is intentional, as we look to cover an overview of the respective timelines of each case succinctly. The 1970s was a decade in which a high number of notorious serial killers were active. Dennis Nilsson, Harold Shipman, Peter Sutcliffe, Archibald Hall and the Shankhill Butchers were all actively killing their victims throughout this decade. Although we focus exclusively on British murderers on this podcast, it's important to note that America was also full of prolific serial killers in the 70s. Ted Bundy... John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer, Dennis Rader and David Berkowitz were all active during this time. Dennis Rader, by the way, was also known as the BTK killer, whilst David Berkowitz killed under the pseudonym Son of Sam. The subject of today's story was also an active serial killer during the 70s. However, given the number of high-profile killers from this period, his name is often lost in the shuffle. Today we will cover the story of, who some call, Britain's Forgotten Serial Killer. June 11th, 1945. A child was born in Newton Heath, Manchester, a city in northwest England. His name was Trevor Joseph Hardy. Though details of Trevor's childhood are limited, it is understood that he was often abused by his violent, alcoholic father. His mother was unfortunately unable to protect her son from the relentless mental and physical abuse from his father. From a young age, Hardy was described as a bully who was feared by children and even his own family. Hardy's violent criminal career started when he was caught stealing at the young age of eight. Since then, he was in and out of jail from the age of 15 before that, Trevor was sent to approved schools and borstals as a result of his behaviour. As a boy, his brother, Colin, would get the bus with their mum to visit him at detention centres. 
Colin had always been terrified of Trevor and noted that he was a vicious bully. Theft was a compulsion that would later manifest into assault. In 1972, a 27-year-old Hardy was jailed for five years after wounding a man with a pickaxe in an argument over a round of drinks. On November 18, 1974, Hardy was released on parole from the Isle of Wight's Albany Jail. The Isle of Wight is the largest island in England and lies a few miles south off the coast of Hampshire, South East England. In prison, he had brooded on revenge and earmarked two people for death. The first was former friend Stanley O'Brien, whom he suspected of double-crossing him. The second was 14-year-old Beverly Driver. She was an ex-girlfriend, but while Trevor was in jail, she found a boy of her own age. Beverly wrote to Trevor in jail as she felt sorry for him, but her family ordered her to stop. This ultimately led to Trevor adding her to his hit list. Hardy told police later, I sat on the train saying, O'Brien and Beverly, again and again. Trevor was devastated when he got to his parents' home in Moston, Manchester, and they told him that his former friend, Stanley O'Brien, had died. On December 31st, 1974, Trevor went to Beverly's home and, after not seeing Beverly, threw an axe through one of the windows. He did, however, spot another young girl walking to meet her boyfriend. 15-year-old Janet Stewart was a rose queen at the Harper Hay Church she attended. Trevor stabbed her in the throat and buried her body in a shallow grave in Newton Heath, North Manchester. For weeks after her murder, Trevor continually returned to the gravesite to savagely rip apart her body using his bare hands before scattering the parts around the city in a depraved attempt to hide his crime. An example of this was Trevor tossing Janet's head into a lake. He also ripped a ring off her finger and gave it to another girl as a love token. Police were unaware of Janet's death and listed her only as a missing person. On July 19, 1975, seven months after killing Janet Stewart, a 17-year-old named Wanda Scala was murdered on Lightbourne Road, 400 yards from her home in Moston, Manchester. Wanda was walking home from the Lightbourne Hotel, where she worked as a part-time barmaid. She had been battered over the head with a brick, robbed, sexually assaulted, and then strangled with her own tights. Her body was found partially buried on a local building site. Trevor had stripped her, mutilated her, and even bit off one of her nipples. He kept her blood-stained clothes and handbag as grisly trophies. In October 1975, Hardy forced his brother Colin to go for a drink with him and his girlfriend in a pub. Talk had turned to a murder that had shocked the local community. It was the death of 17-year-old barmaid Wanda Scala. Trevor said to his brother, I did it. After Colin replied by asking, What do you mean? Trevor stated, I hit her with a brick. Colin then said that he didn't believe Trevor, to which Trevor's girlfriend replied, It's true. When the pub closed, Trevor walked Colin home. As Colin walked through his own front door, he remarked that Trevor was going to miss his last bus. That was the last thing Colin remembered. Trevor went berserk, proceeding to beat Colin unconscious. 
Trevor then stepped over Colin's body and demanded his partner make him some beans on toast as he was hungry. Colin's partner swiftly complied. Once he had finished eating, Trevor left without a word, leaving Colin's partner to patch him up. Colin felt the beating was a warning to not speak about what he now knew of his brother. After discussing the situation with his partner, Colin told the police everything and Trevor was arrested for the murder of Wanda. While in custody, Trevor filed his teeth into points using a contraband file. The intention was to alter the shape of his teeth so that police couldn't match the bite marks he had left on Wanda's body. As a result of this, along with an alibi he had arranged with his partner Sheila Farrow, Trevor was freed on a suspended sentence. A suspended sentence is essentially where you don't get sent to jail, but you put on kind of a probation for a couple of years, and if you commit another offence, then you will go to prison. Colin warned the police that Trevor would kill again. Six months later, he did just that. In March 1976, after walking home from a staff party, 17-year-old Sharon Mosoff spotted Trevor trying to break into Marlborough Mill Shopping Centre. She was stabbed and strangled with a pair of tights before her stripped and mutilated body was dumped 300 yards from her home in the Rochdale Canal at Failsworth Oldham, a town in Greater Manchester. As with Wanda, Trevor had bitten off one of Sharon's nipples. Trevor once more feared that police would trace him through his teeth marks, so he stripped and plunged into the icy water clutching a metal rivet. He used it to scratch the girl's mutilated breast in a bid to cover up the teeth marks. Sharon's body was found the next morning in the Rochdale Canal by a member of the public who was working at a nearby dairy factory. Due to the cold weather in March of 1976, by the time Sharon was found, the water had frozen around her. After murdering his third and final victim, Trevor went on the run. He lived in quarries, railway tunnels and canal banks. Whilst on the run, he violently sexually assaulted another woman in the toilet of a pub. In August 1976, Trevor was arrested after he attacked 21-year-old Christian Campbell, who was fortunate enough to escape with her life, despite Trevor biting through her tongue in the struggle. This attack later provided some vital clues to the other murders. Detectives tracked Trevor to a house in Stockport by shadowing his partner, Sheila Farrow. Trevor eventually confessed to all three murders and wrote a confession that was 40 pages long. The police had no idea that Janet Stewart was dead, as up to that point she was being treated only as a missing person. Trevor took police to the lake where he had thrown Janet's head before taking them to a shallow grave containing some of her skeleton. At his trial, Trevor sacked his Queen's Council and conducted his own defence. A Queen's Council is a senior barrister appointed on the recommendation of the Lord Chancellor, the person who traditionally served as Head of the Judiciary and Speaker of the House of Lords, the second chamber of UK Parliament. Trevor attempted to confess to manslaughter, however the plea was rejected and he was found guilty of murder. On May 2nd, 1978, at Manchester Crown Court, Trevor was handed three life sentences for the murders of Janet, Wanda and Sharon to serve a minimum of 30 years. In 
Mr Justice Caulfield told Trevor, This area is a happy place, but it will be a happier place without you. You have been convicted of the horrible murders of three young girls and you will go to prison for life. A psychiatrist described Trevor as a hopelessly evil and dangerous man who could kill again. Police confirmed he was also suspected of committing other murders, however none have been proven. Trevor was reported to have a good work record and maintained his innocence throughout his prison sentence. He reportedly sent a letter for the attention of Sharon Mosoff's family, posting it to a nearby club. In the letter, Trevor blamed his actions on his parents as well as his upbringing. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, Trevor's crimes overlapped with the start of the Yorkshire Ripper Peter Sutcliffe's killing spree and there were similarities between the two in terms of the widespread terror they caused. It was in part the crimes of Sutcliffe which led to Trevor's own being somewhat forgotten. Around that time, in Manchester neighbourhoods such as Moston and Blackley, women were reluctant to go out alone after dark and men would be asked to escort them home. At the height of the hunt for Trevor Hardy, 23,000 people were stopped and searched. For many years, Manchester locals suspected that Trevor may have killed more than three times. Dorothy Layden was 17 when she was raped and beaten to death in April of 1971. Her body was dumped behind a pub in Collyhurst. Many believe this could have been a precursor to Trevor's reign of terror and, in 2004... Dorothy's family requested that the Greater Manchester Police re-examine old evidence relating to the case. Despite being the prime suspect, Trevor was cleared of her murder. DNA samples examined more than 30 years after the crime were found not to match Trevor's. Manchester Police have noted that the DNA found at the crime scene was undoubtedly that of the killer, despite being picked up close to the body as opposed to actually on it. On February 23, 2008, British newspaper The Times revealed that Trevor Hardy was one of up to 50 British prisoners currently in prison who had been issued with a whole life tariff and was unlikely to ever be released. The whole life tariff was reaffirmed in June 2008 by the High Court. Judge Tear said the evidence showed sexual or sadistic conduct and there were no mitigating features. He said... Hardy does not accept his guilt and therefore shows no remorse. Rejecting Trevor's plea that his minimum jail term should be around 30 years, the judge said, This is a case where the gravity of the offences justifies a whole life order. He remarked on Trevor's good work record in prison, where he is trusted with access to sharp implements. However, he said that could make no difference to his view that Trevor can never be released. Trevor collapsed in his cell at Wakefield Prison on September 23, 2012 after suffering a heart attack. He died in the prison's hospital two days later, aged 67. He had spent 35 years in prison and was one of the longest serving prisoners in England and Wales. Sharon Mossoff's father, Ralph, told Manchester Evening News, Me and my family think this is the best thing that has ever happened to us. It's like winning the lottery. We've had a big party to celebrate his death. 
we feel as though a burden has been lifted from our shoulders knowing that he cannot come out and do anything to anybody else. We knew he was inside, but you cannot forget something like that. It preys on your mind. What he did was cold-blooded murder. He was an animal. That was the story of British murderer Trevor Hardy. If you're enjoying British murders, why not show your support by joining my Patreon page? The link is in the show notes. If you join my middle or top tier, you'll get a personalised thank you video from me, as well as gaining access to raw and unedited audio, the scripts I use to record, early access to episodes each week, behind the scenes footage and much more. I don't think that's bad for $3 a month. To follow British Murders on social media, click on the respective links in the show notes. You can find the show on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. I've also recently joined TikTok, which is where I post 15 second summaries of each episode. It's an amusing challenge that I feel is worth checking out. It's only 15 seconds, come on guys. You can send your case suggestions to me via email, which is britishmurderspodcast at gmail.com. Solved cases only, please. Nothing ongoing or unsolved. That's not the show that we do here. Thank you to my latest iTunes reviewers, Lisa David Olson, Jenny from It's Murder Up North podcast, and Alison McNeil of Red Rum True Crime podcast. Those two are fantastic shows, by the way. If you want to check out something else from Britain, which is new and really good true crime, check those two out. You won't regret it. Please continue to leave me ratings and reviews on iTunes as it really does help the show grow. It creates exposure and most importantly of all, it's greatly appreciated by myself. For now, I've been Stuart Blues. This has been British Murders. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, cheerio. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.